Hey there, creeps. Welcome to The Devil's Cut, a show about all things that go bump in the night. If it's scary, spooky, or spine tingling, we're here to talk about it. I am the skeleton trapped in your closet, Eric Rossi, and I'm here today with co-host Dr. Uncool, Dan Rossi. Hello. How you doing, Dan? Good. I'm excited about these movies. I've been begging you to do something on the master of menace himself for a long time, Vincent Price. Yes, today we have a very fun Vincent Price double feature episode coming at you. Uh, As listeners know, we unfortunately lost our audio for Amityville Part 3, so we had to have Dan on to come and uh, join us once again as we are missing our usual co-host, Matt. He's out getting married. And uh, so we have the Brothers Rossi to fill in. You guys make it seem like it's such a burden to have me on all the time, or like as though it's a burden to me. (laughs) We've got him once more. Uh, He's we got him on the hook. I mean, all the Amityville ones. You're like once again, the only person that would watch these. (laughs) My brother. Well, honestly, we wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, We we really had a good time with those and we were very happy to have you along with us just uh, all of our best material you guys have lost (laughs) but as promised in uh the last episode i told you we were going to be bringing you some retro hits we're going to bring you some oldies danny like he said has been begging for us to go back and do some real classics some real golden age filmmaking from vincent price we have the 1961 pit and the pendulum followed by the anthology horror uh, Monster Club, The Monster Club, from 1981. So we'll do a nice little 20-year jump into the future after the pit. They're different but similar, too. Like, one is... The, the Monster Club is a horror comedy, but, like, with today's eyes, The Pit and the Pendulum is also a comedy. But, like, almost like a comedy of b-movie errors yeah yeah (laughs) but like this is also a hugely influential film to a lot of like you know immediate post 1960s horror movies yeah uh the wildly successful pit in the pendulum was uh what spawned a i think like five or six movie run of like adapting old poe work yeah, I think it it was the first one was Fall of the House of Usher mm-hmm. is the Poe story, which is like one of his like most known short stories. And then I think it was six movies, seven, and but not all of them feature um, Vincent Price, but they were all. I think most of them do though, in some capacity. Five, yes, yeah. five of them. Five of them are starring Price. So yes, actually most of them. Um, who was born to do Edgar Allan Poe gothic ghoulish sort of stuff? Uh, I, I think before we get too deep into it, I have an important question. Who do you think has the most degenerate mustache? Vincent Price or John Waters? Um, I was thinking about this a lot watching these movies. I know. I couldn't not think of um, John Waters. But I... <laughs> It's, I think it's John Waters because of like the rest of his face. <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. But, but John Waters <laughs> knows what he is doing with that must. Like he's emulating 
Price. He has to be. Like, he's... There's a, so much Vincent Price in John Waters, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because, like, while watching Vincent Price act through both of these, I was like, wow, for a... Um, he's just so flamboyantly gothic and loves the, like, the the creep, you know? Like, there's just a bunch of, like... <laughs> Like, him being straight is almost his biggest drawback, whereas, like, uh, Waters can yeah. just do it. He's just <laughs> out there. There's always a bit of, uh, like, kayfabe when you when you bring him into the mix, because he's immediately like, ooh, we're doing a spooky, scary thing today. Welcome to the lair. You know, it's always, there's always some, like, ooh, <laughs> like, he, that's him, is, ooh ghastly ghostly and like i mean because he also has that mid-atlantic like dandy accent yeah yeah <laughs> that like he just you know plays like that's him yeah like he's an extremely well-spoken person too like i i should know more about him being that i'm so obsessed but it's like he was he was performing in orson welles's mercury theater when before orson welles was doing radio and film um like so he was in that imagine group. meeting vincent price before he was like the household name of vincent price like well if you want to just see a person him, you would never forget watch it uh, watch <laughs> him in like where he plays like something like, like a straight role like not comedy not genre like i guess technically it's genre but um the uh, 1944 um noir laura he's just a guy in that movie and it's kind of weird i couldn't possibly imagine he would be like running into like a a, a guy at the checkout and shop right he's like oh are we going to be bagging our own groceries today paper or <laughs> like... plastic perchance <laughs> do you have any coupons we're slashing prices. Uh, also, he was in um, the Ten Commandments, the Charlton Heston one. I don't know if you know that. There's a lot of people in the Charlton Heston, Yul Brenner, uh, Ten Commandments that blows my mind. Like I, John Carradine's in it. Also, Vincent Price is in it. Apparently, I didn't. I never even noticed Edward G. Robinson. As the like fourth build name. You know what's in that funny? Movie. Literally, no one listening to this. I would be surprised if five percent of the people listening to this know any of the five names I just gave. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> it's hard to be me. We're old. Edward G. Robinson is the meh guy, though. It's the actual man <laughs> of like all the like noir gangster um, movies. He's the meh. Well, maybe we'll just He's have the to stereotype see about origin. That. Yeah. Did you like both these movies? I did. For wildly different reasons. Yes. Yes. I I think you put it uh, pretty precisely earlier. Uh, The Pit and the Pendulum is very fun and funny because of how serious it's taking itself. Yeah. As to where Monster Club really benefits from leaning into the comedy side of the their comedy horror monster club was very um i don't know once you're in it you're in it like you have to just accept so much immediately and you're like yeah okay but because it's vincent price you're kind of like sure i'll go here with you yeah right he kind of makes everything go down a lot easier like the on late night television in the 
late 60s or like somewhere in the 70s whenever dean martin had his show vincent price went on just dressed as a vampire and played this whole vampire character to dean martin <laughs> like and where like the, the, that whole show was a joke right but dean martin had to play the straight man to that and like it's ridiculous <laughs> But like you, you're like, all right, Vincent Price is around. Let's uh, let's. I know where we're going, <laughs> you know. I've, I I feel like that's how um, a Muppets Christmas Carol went, right? Where like you you, <laughs> you have someone who's playing the straight man to Kermit. Yes, yes, exactly. And like, I mean, anyone on Instagram who like follows anything in the like spooky world is you see. There is a clip of um, Vincent Price and Kermit the Frog doing exactly oh God, that, where Kermit becomes a vampire yeah. and attacks Vincent Price. <laughs> I, I think I saw that three times today on Twitter. Oh, it's amazing. I love it. Uh, I, would, I would say these movies are like the perfect movies to throw on like in the background of a Halloween party. Yes. Or like – you know if you're if you're doing like an all ages type of viewing like if you have like younger people there this is a great like halloween set of movie yeah i mean i think a child would be bored out of their mind at the pit and the pendulum you know what at this point in history probably that makes all but like sense. monster club you could watch and it's like oh it's funny and like maybe it's a little it's kind of like goosebumps Right, like it's like an adult would watch and be like, "This is goofy," you know, and a kid will watch it and be like, mm -hmm. "I have nightmares." I mean, depending on the age, those stories is pretty pretty fucked up, but we'll get into that one later. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Right now, let's let's dip our toe into the pit, and uh, I would say most people are relatively familiar with the at least the concept of the pit and the pendulum it's featured uh, in so many other I, just the idea of it i right. feel like it was in cartoons all, all i can remember um yakko wacko and dot doing the pit and the pendulum you know what i mean like it's been parodied it's, to the end of the earth and back it's, it's yeah like a pretty as far as like literary works go it's one of i'd say the more popular of edgar Allan poe's and it's it's such like an iconic visual yeah. that you can do it any type of way and it still looks good. Yes. Yeah. As long like you, you literally need just the two things featured in the title and you have the, the, the concept. Yeah. Uh, for anyone completely living under a rock, it is a story about a man who is strapped to usually some sort of table or platform and above him is a slowly sinking bladed pendulum that's rocking back and forth across the room. Uh, in this particular adaptation of the work, it's uh, about a guy who – it's about an Englishman who travels to Spain. And he is in search of his sister's, I guess, remains – He's been given a very vague and brief statement as far as how his sister died, and he is here in Spain investigating to figure out what exactly happened. Yeah, he, like, gets some – he it, – it, because I didn't realize that it was going to be taking place in the 1500s. Oh, yeah. 
puffy shoulders their all over this are motherfucker. Ridiculous. Oh the God. roughs and stuff. They're dressed like the ca- playing cards from Alice in Wonderland. Like it's it's <laughs> insane. There at one point Vincent Price and um John Kerr are in matching like shirt pant tunic <laughs> all things. Three of them. Yeah, they're like yeah. gold uh striped ones. Which is like just unabashedly like shimmering in the light. And there's a there's a I'd say one or two like cloaked costumes that he's wearing throughout this. Oh my fuck. Where he just he's, literally he's... looks like Count Chocula. It's just like this dark brown and black. Yes. I mean, in the end, when he goes off the deep end and he's the one, like he's operating the pendulum. He's, oh, and he's got he's the got hood, hood on. <laughs> oh my. Watching this too, I was like, this is so much of what young Frankenstein is like poking fun at. Yes. the I literally saw the bit where he's like, walk this way. And like, they all just kind of file out of the room. There's a lot time. of like following Vincent Price around <laughs> in single file as though like he has even a faint grasp on reality at any point in this movie. They're, they just give him so much faith. <laughs> as soon as John Kerr shows up, you know, you're like, all right, he's a mark. Like he's not making it out of this. Like I'm familiar oh, enough no with way. horror to know that the guy that shows up at the spooky house is going to have the bad things happen to him. I was dying because there's an entire sequence where like, Vincent Price, he plays uh, the, would you say, Count? What is his title exactly? I don't know how um, nobility in Spain worked in the 1500s, but he is the son. He is Nicholas Medina, the son of Sebastian Medina. A notorious inquisitioner. Ap- apparently, the like, the, the most inquisitious inquisitor the king tut motherfucker <laughs> of inquiries and they live in the helm where he lives there currently with his sister uh after his wife died she moved in to help him through this troubling time and but this is this this is the castle that they grew up in and they very openly refer to the torture chamber in the basement as the torture chamber like there's a moment in near the end where the sister yells to one of the um servants like you need to unlock the torture chamber and i was like wow we're really just <laughs> i mean like i get it i guess in the 1500s if you had a castle it probably had especially an old castle yeah it was inherited it's not their in fault in 1547 you're like yeah 30 years ago you know these castles People got tortured in. There's a sequence where uh, they're all following uh, Nicholas Medina. And uh, he's holding this torch. And they're all single file behind him. And his brother-in-law keeps asking him, like, what happened to my sister? How did she die? Where did she die? And, like, he's getting one-word answers out of Medina. And he's like, your sister's death. Tragic. And then they walk like 50 feet down a hall and he's like, but you still haven't answered my question. He's like, your sister's death. A horror. And then they walk another 50 feet down a hallway and I'm like, Jesus Christ, can we get to the end of the story? <laughs> yeah, he takes a while, which is like part of the Poe story. How, how about in the end when his sister, whose name I cannot remember, um, Catherine, which is at the end of everything looks back from the top of the stairs of the torture chamber 
and goes, no one will ever enter this room again. And that's how you know the movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we almost forgot to mention this movie has a uh, reoccurring, we'll call it co-star, mega babe of like ancient horror, Barbara Steele. Yeah, they call her the queen of all scream queens. What, uh, it's hard to disagree. Real quick, though, seeing that she is like the only person in this movie that actually was um, English, right? No one tries to do an <laughs> accent whatsoever in this movie. <laughs> no. And then so even like the one guy where it's like, all right, like, okay, half of them are playing Spaniards. Fine. Okay. It could be tough. like, what are they going to do? A Spanish accent and like really Errol Flynn this and like, it's going to be kind of like ridiculous. But they could have at least had the English actor playing – well, he's an American actor playing a British guy. Just throw on an accent. Just let us know that you are not Spanish. Like if we can accept that like everyone speaking regular English is Spanish now, have the guy speak the kings, you know? It was (laughs) – I was like you went to Europe to shoot this and you couldn't find one, one British guy to drag around. At least I think they actually went to Europe, but at the same time, who was giving Roger Corman money to travel the world to make his movie? I'll tell you what, they gave him a decent chunk of change. He had three hundred thousand dollars to make this thing in like nineteen sixty money, late nineteen seventy money. Well, and they it ended up making like they spent two million. It. Yeah, I mean, it's not like oh, they fucking definitely the spent it. The set is ridiculous, but. All right, here's something that jumped out at me where I was like, all right, okay. Uh, when when the brother-in-law, John Kerr, finds the secret passageway between the, like, around the castle, he just pushes mm-hmm. the stone out of the way, and there are two, <laughs> like, modern door hinges on it. <laughs> like, you could go and buy those today and, and make that. And I was like, wow, they couldn't have hid that a little couldn't have spruced it a little bit put it some big iron. make it look like 1500 story <laughs> like they went through it to do every other thing like also the amount of spider webs in 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 the basement and vincent price walks through he's the only man that can just walk through and not notice the spider webs i had never watched a movie in my life where i was more like precisely aware of cobwebs like <laughs> In both movies, oh, it's crazy, crazy the, amount. The pit has a such a good shot though, <laughs> where he's like rolling down a hallway as he's like already lost his mind later in the movie. But he's running down this hallway, and the first set of cobwebs kind of drapes over his face, and he's like ah, pit, pit, and like tries to pull them off, and then he goes about twenty feet. And blindly walks through another like huge cobweb that just drapes across his face and his hair and his mustache, and he doesn't even flinch. But he's just calling out to his dead wife. Well, his <laughs> wife that he believes is dead. And he's just like, What was her name? Is she Elizabeth? Yes. Like yes. Elizabeth? Yes. That's the character Elizabeth uh, Barbara Steele. And he's plays. just like kind of squeaking, just walking through into the cobwebs. And I was like, Can you just wipe that off your face he has a cobweb hanging off his face for an ungodly amount of time in that sequence i just all caught up in his shit yeah but like he goes from like all right i just like his character arc because he goes from like this like whimpering guy to like oh oh everything who is suspicious for sure 
And then when he has his full breakdown where he's really sad and he's like marching around the room monologuing and he does this thing that like today you would never let someone get away with. Like he's like, perhaps it was me and I'm haunted (laughs) by the memories because my mind knows, but I don't know. Oh, you came up with a perfect diagnosis for yourself, huh? Of a repressed and, memory. And a, and a very convenient alibi. All in, like, the most dramatic, like... And then he, like, just... He faints a couple times. And he just goes, oh! He faints, like... <laughs> he wilts. He wilts like a flower. He he faints, like, three scenes in a row. Ooh. Oh! It's hilarious. So, at, after... um. After the brother-in-law arrives, there is a, a continuing questioning of nicholas across a few days where the brother-in-law is super suspicious of him he doesn't believe that his sister randomly died of like some you know blood disease he like makes him call in the doctor and the doctor is fantastic he looks like they just plucked him off the set of some spaghetti western and threw him in these like you know court appropriate clothing and just sent him into this scene wine drunk i like the setup of this though because like the brother comes he's suspicious of everyone and you're trying to you're supposed to kind of be on his side he's the guide into this like depraved world of vincent (laughs) price um you do a great vincent price impression (laughs) dude i've been studying this guy um (laughs) he but like he's kind of an asshole so you're like i don't know maybe like you, I mean, knowing the story and knowing like how this was gonna probably turn out, I was just kind of like, all right, get this fucking guy on the slab, you know? what I mean, <laughs> like let's get that pendulum swinging. Like I need to see Vincent Price in the hood, like basically drooling over the chain as he swings the pendulum. I love that first like couple shots or sequences where the uh, brother shows up and. First, the uh, the guard at the door is like mm. to the end. No, no. Even earlier than that, he gets dumped off by the carriage ride. Like he, the guy won't bring him <laughs> all the way to the door, and you see this wide shot of how far away the castle is, and he just gets out and starts walking. Then he gets to the castle, and the guard's like, "Nah, I don't think I'm gonna let you in. I don't know who you are." And then finally, he like breaks his way in past the guard and meets uh his, I guess, s- sister-in-law. What would be their relation? Sister-in-law, yeah. It's his his sister's husband's sister. Yeah, sister-in-law. So he meets her, and she's like, Oh, uh, I guess I'll take you to where she's buried. Uh, it's under the house. Uh, it's a family tradition. And then they end up bumping into uh, Nicholas in, like, the dungeon. And he's like, I told him we could show him where the sister's buried. Well, you hear this all. You hear all this stuff going too, and you're like, "What is that machinery?" But you know it's the pit and the pendulum. You know it. You know you've you've if you've gotten this far into this movie, you know the title, and you hear him come because he comes out of the room where that is, and he's like locking the door up, and Barnard is the um the brother-in-law, who's like, basically like, and what's all that? 
What's all that racket? Like, he plays a British man really well without the accent. Though, yeah. <laughs> of just being like, what's all this? And, um, it's just so funny. He just keeps asking all of these people, like, what happened to my sister? Show me where she's buried. And they're like, oh. They, like, look at each other in the most suspicious way possible. They're like, oh, I guess we could take you to where she's definitely buried from the natural death that happened yeah yeah death yeah let's go check it out well because the diagnosis they gave him was that uh she had ghosts in her blood she had so many ghosts in her blood and then she died a blood disorder which like confused me because i was like in 1547 were doctors i was like also what were doctors and then what when the doctor does show up and he's like well, your your sister was scared to death. And he's like, I thought she had ghosts in her blood. What the fuck? died of fright. All right, this is a, a point I was getting at. It's like, Barnard the brother is taking you through this, like, world. That's, a, that's like the viewer's, like, entry in is, like, the man of logic while all this other shit is, like... Um, <laughs> but then the doctor shows up and you're like, he's supposed... He's purported to be... The man of reason, the learned, the educated. He's a physician for, you know, for God's sake. Um, but you you immediately don't trust him because he's, like, super sympathetic to uh, Vincent Price's character. And basically just yeah. allows him to be a crazy person. Yeah, clearly they're bros. You're glad to believe that. The twist at the end was crazy. Um, so you have, like, all of these different people, like, basically either, like, feeding in or, like, accepting or not accepting any of the explanations. Like, Vincent Price's sister is, like, you have no idea where she is on this spectrum of lunacy. But she is pretty bought into everything he's saying. Like, there's very little pushback from her until, like, near the she end. She doesn't see any reason to question the doctor. And yeah. she's a little understanding of, but pushes back on the deep questioning of the brother-in-law, Barnard. So uh, uh, eventually Barnard becomes pretty much fed up with the whole runaround as far as what happened to his sister. And he's like, show me where it's at. I'm going to exhume the body and I'm going to look at it with my own eyes because I'm sick of this haunted house bullshit. I don't believe you guys. I think you're trying to pull one over on me. And they go down into the... They both want to see the body because (laughs) Vincent Price's character is this whole fucking fascination... Like, not fascination, but like he's freaked out because he thinks that they accidentally buried her alive. And because he saw his father, the notorious Inquisitioner, torture and bury his mother alive and torture to death his uncle because... They had an affair. They were adulterers. He was screaming adulterer <laughs> in an absolutely also bananas scene. He feels that like he's giving over to his inherent like demons that he thinks his father bestowed upon him like biologically because his dad was such a fucked up weird torturer guy. Yeah, I mean it's very Edgar Allan Poe like sins of the father kind of yeah thing. So. They both want to get down to the bottom of it, and we have this fun sequence where they're, like, pounding this, you know, stone wall with uh, pickaxes, and they're all taking turns. <laughs> I I thought that scene was just 
ridiculous because they're in their like 1500s costumes but they're swinging pickaxes like they're building the railroad (laughs) yeah (laughs) and like watching it i was like these are all noblemen they've never picked up a tool in their fucking lives I would have loved it if they had the servants come down. Also, the servants are just wandering around the house trying to make, you know, go through their day-to-day shit. And they're playing Clue downstairs. Yeah, that's what made me laugh because, like, there's a bunch of shots where, like, you have one of their, like, servants, like, just, like, randomly in the background dusting something or, like, they're attending to dinner. But then you have, like, the other four the sister nicholas and uh the other brother barnard and they're just scooby-dooing around the fucking castle yeah oh yeah the like the scene where um there's an aggressive amount of like metal harpsichord which really just was so goofy also the amount of times they've just said harpsichord 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 yeah they hammered that one like she would play the harpsichord after dinner i would paint her it was bliss and it is pretty bananas and then also finding out the entire score was les baxter over my head for those unfamiliar all of us so all of us les baxter is developed the style of music known as exotica and exotica is in every one of these like 60s 70s movies where they're like we're traveling to the jungle and it's like it's very like it has the feeling of a tiki bar like go to spotify or wherever the hell you listen to stuff or youtube why not les baxter quiet village put on that song that music is nothing like what is in this movie but it is interesting to know that it was done by the same guy i mean it's a great score it's a lot of fun it, it fits the setting great. it's so i think it's dramatic gothic yeah like we're in a haunted castle like it's everything you want from that but like it's serious it's not like these movies now that will do this and like it'll be jokey and someone will point out isn't our costumes weird or something like that yeah it's not like tongue-in-cheek at all no no very tongue out of cheek whatever the opposite of tongue-in-cheek is that's what this is the word is serious but there's got to be another way (laughs) to say it but yeah, after they they break down this wall, we find the the entombed sister and uh, wife of Nicholas. Oh my fucking god! When they crack this thing open and we get a look at the ghoulish like corpse that's in there, her hands are all like gnarled up. She's got like paste white and blue skin because she's like you know rotting. But, like, died screaming. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, one of those things where, like, you can tell that she was alive when she was buried. So this sends Nicholas into an absolute fucking episode. He pretty much is full-blown crazy from here on out because he's convinced that he accidentally buried his treasured wife alive. Meanwhile, the doctor immediately, like, runs out of the room. and He's like, I swear on my practice and my license as a physician, she was near dead and couldn't be determined to be otherwise it's just so and he starts running around looking at people he goes what condition could liken itself so closely to death that i would mistake it for actual like there's a lot of like really spelling it out that he's like i knew she was dead i did a big old timey whoopsie and i buried a living woman and so they run away and then Barnard kind of just stares at the corpse and goes, he, that's like his moment where he goes, well, she's dead. (laughs) 
Yo, I had to pause and get a look at this thing. It is truly a sight to see. Uh, you know, in a time of all practical effects, it it is, and you only get it on screen for like half a second, two or three times. But man, it is something. Oh, it was gross. I wasn't expecting for how polished the rest of the movie is. In like, it's like okay, like I thought we were just gonna get a skeleton. I also or thought nothing. We were get a skeleton. Um, I really didn't know. And then when they opened it, I was like, oh. Yeah, it looks like something. Instead, we get the best use of paper mache in all Yeah, it looks like something out of the ring. It's great. You know what I want? You know what it kind of looked like, though, when it first showed it? I was like, huh. You know the, um, the, the, um, were they Peruvian alien mummies? Oh, God, the new ones? Yeah, 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 yeah. that just came out. Holy shit. Man, those things look bad. I was like, hell yeah. Imagine taking a paper mache like alien to fucking Congress and being like, look what I found in a cave in a different country that is now charging me for felonious activities of Tomb Raider level. <laughs> yeah, but the crazy thing is like those are actual like they're just weird. They're mummies covered in clay, but they're just children. They're not paper mache. Like those things are real. They're not fake. They're just not aliens it's like we take one step forward and 500 steps back disclosure when no it's all kevin spacey's character from the men who stare at goats <laughs> it's stage magicians and meanwhile the actual guys because they're not pretty you can't put them in front of congress and be like oh, i am an expert from mufon <laughs> you don't want that guy on tv being like here are the aliens and unfortunately we don't have um oh what's his name Tommy Lee Jones? Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones is who should be showing us. Like, So this is the evidence we have of the aliens. <clears throat> but instead, it's just some fucking prankster from South America. <laughs> Back to the pit. And the pendulum. This is where we really turn things up to the titular pit and the pendulum. This is Yeah, this is when everything you want from the movie comes out. Yeah, as Nicholas goes batshit crazy, he's... He begins to think that he is his father and that he needs to reenact the killing of his uncle and mother by strapping. Oh, 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 this is the best, though, this whole sequence, because he hears he yeah. hears Elizabeth, his dead wife, calling to him. So he follows the voice down to her grave first and then fully alive embodied barbara Steele. elizabeth comes out of the grave or out of the sarcophagus smoking hot um and starts walking towards him and he's wigging out he's like oh 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 no and then she like they get to the torture chamber and um he falls down the stairs and he bonks his head he throws himself all over this set like a sack of potatoes man he is really yeah, really throwing and he, like, himself into his it. Head, and she's laughing, and he kind of laughs. And then the doctor runs in, and he goes, "I told you to wait." And then you have the whole plot. Yeah, then we get our solid twist. Where you're like, "Oh, the doctor and her had a thing, and so they faked her death to, and then are trying to convince and kill, convince Nicholas that he's crazy, and then kill him." Um, but then like the brother-in-law showing up, I guess was like a problem. That was part of a, a real wrench in their plan. So then they decide to go through with it anyway. 
and luckily for them, Nicholas is so fucking crazy, uh, with, you know, racked with grief and the realization that his, you know, doctor essentially took over the role of his uncle in this weird, like, repeating adultery. Well, he declared – the doctor's a, a, a quack, though, also, because he declares Nicholas dead, and they're like, we can finally be together – they kiss and then all of a sudden he comes like she's like talking to his face grabbing him by the face and this is also a moment where like going back to him walking through cobwebs without reacting whatsoever um he does not move his eyes at all while she's just like he's playing a dead body and vincent vincent price could play the phone book okay (laughs) i just i don't know what that means exactly but you know like he plays a yeah, dead body yeah. per like he you can tell how seriously he acts just because like dead body Please he just his book. eyes do not move. He has trained for this. As she's shaking his head around and then she starts laughing and then he smiles and starts laughing too and it's a little unnerving. Um and that's when he comes back to life as his father. Like he is now the inquisitor and he calls his wife his mother's name, I can't remember, Isabella, and he calls Dr. Leon Bartolome. And he, he locks his wife in a Iron Maiden, and then he... So, how does he kill the doctor? He, the, the doctor runs into the pit room, and you just hear him, like, he, like, just ran yes, off the yes, edge, yes, and he yes, goes, yes. Whoa! Whoa! And you're like, oh, no. He, the pit part but the pit is just as deadly as the pendulum now that he's been taken out his like rage and his focus shifts to well because he didn't he uh, didn't see him go Bernard. over the edge and he's like Bartholomew. yeah where are you Bartholomew? yeah and then barnard shows up and he's like hey what's going on because barnard at this point accepted the story and accepted everything and he was like well I'm going to go back to England in the morning. And he also basic, almost nearly professes his love for the others, for the sister. Yeah, he's like, I guess if, you know, we met under different circumstances, things could have been hot. But uh, back to England. He goes, I'll see, well, perhaps we'll see you again in Barcelona, where she lives. Barcelona. That's revealed earlier that she lives <laughs> there. And I was like, I, like, that's where I was like, the fuck is going on? But so he... He's- he straps him down to the uh, the pendulum after he gets bonked on oh, the head. Oh, he bonks him immediately because he's like, oh, good. There you are, Bartholomew. He's like, Bartholomew? No, I'm Barnard. And then he's like, what's going on? Don't. Yeah, immediately <laughs> gets clobbered. <laughs> Just clobbed in the head. And that's when Vincent Price decides to do a wardrobe change. Oh, my God. The, my favorite costume for him <laughs> always. He looks like he's wearing the... Uh, ghost face like cloak with like a real tight hood but no mask <laughs> like he's in the goofiest little like he's like dressed like the devil like outfit. a classic like yeah. devil costume where it's like kind of skin tight but with a cape on his hood is just the best we get a really cool wide shot of like the pit and like all of the mechanics of the pendulum and everything and on this huge like painted set it looks so sick it, the scene does last a little too long, just, like, getting the machinery going. <laughs> but I was like, I get it. It's a slow process. It is 1547. And he's used the yeah, – they've they've weaponized a giant clock. Like, there's only so many giant clocks in the world at this point. And they're like, well, how do we 
I would kill somebody with it. He's slowly watching this thing, you know, swing and then drop a couple inches and swing and drop a couple inches. Well, I all right, I really like the Wikipedia description of this scene. He straps him to a stone slab direct, located directly underneath a huge razor sharp pendulum. The pendulum is attached to a clockwork apparatus that causes it to descend fractions of an inch after each swing closer to Francis's torso. Fractions of an inch. So like it drops one fourth of an inch each swing. It drops five eighths, just a fraction of an inch. Yeah, just a, just a portion. But yeah, the entire time it's swinging back and forth. He's monologuing. He's going fucking crazy. And uh, I I believe you said it earlier. His sister hears like the gears clanking and the pendulum swinging, and she immediately runs to a servant. She's like, "Quick, we have to unlock the torture chamber." She gives she gives him a name too for the person. She's like Maximilian. Yeah. We need to unlock it. And he's like, oh, okay, here we go. He's like, oh, I'm a named character. Still no lines, but here I am. And then he runs down, beats Nicholas to death. <laughs> he's just so ready. He, I, like, Which I thought was funny. I was like, oh, he's done with this guy's shit. Like, he is so fed up with, like, all of this, like, just guy raving around at night and then fainting and then all this other crap. Because he, unquestioningly, he's like, oh, he's using the torture chamber? Oh, the one that's built into the castle? As though that's a problem that he's using it? Like, why do we have it if we're not using it? Yeah. <laughs> he, he just says, oh, no, the torture chamber beats him to death. <laughs> they immediately fight to the death. He tosses him in. This is his, like, all right, 1500s, like, serfdom. Like, he's a he's the servant. Like, that is his, he, that's his lord, right? Yeah. But he throws him right into the fucking pit with, like, no... He, there's no moment where he's like, oh, Master Nicholas. I like I like his tenacity and his his uh his ladder climbing ethics. He's like, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to really fucking move up in this corporation. I'm gonna take out Nicholas and then I'm gonna get real cozy with his sister, who is definitely gonna give me a raise after this. I think he's just like, let me get rid of this raving fucking lunatic and go back to, like, <laughs> normal days. Like, can I just have, like, a... we used to just have a normal job. I used to just make dinner and bring things here and there and make beds. Bring out and dinner. Show our guests to, to, to the door. Answer the door. I'm so sick of repairing pendulums. He's like, There's a weird line in the beginning where it didn't make sense to me because, like, it's right when they they stumble upon Nicholas who's leaving the pendulum room and is like, oh, that big noise? Don't worry. It's a machine that we have here and requires constant upkeep. And I'm like, if you are trying to avoid your father's, like – torturous vices why are you constantly like fixing this thing why not get rid of the torture chamber entirely get rid of those machines right? and horrible things break that shit up send those to the british museum but no the british museum no it's like having a garage full of things and be like god i hate every single one of those things like just get rid i of feel it. like we could almost blame the pope this feels like the pope's doing it's like hey don't send those here because we're pretending we didn't do that but also like don't get rid of them. Well, I just like the idea that his father was such an inquisitor for the Inquisition that he brought his work home. <laughs> He's like, you know what? I could get a lot more work done if I was working from home. 
I wish he was in the red outfit oh, yeah. though of um Monty Python. No, not Monty Python. That's um History of the World. History of the World Part One. That's Mel Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because of the harpsichord <laughs> parts. Like I got serious Dario Argento vibes from this. Yeah, I think it's a combination of that and then those like those weird psychedelic opening and closing and all of that put together. That definitely brings. Yeah. I mean, they play the shit out of that harpsichord. In in mentioning uh, Argento, uh, me and Matt were just discussing how because uh, we did a the episode right before this was a uh, foreign film like mm-hmm. uh, episode, and uh, he was mentioning how he hasn't really seen a lot of the Italian uh, like horror movies, and I was like, oh shit, we'll have to waterboard you with all of those one day. And uh, he's very excited. So we're going to have to have you back on to educate, to help me educate Matt. Oh, they're great. I love them. They're so fucking wild. Um, I love Suspiria because it's kind of like, (laughs) to me watching it, it's not that different from House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you're like, there's a lot of cultural references I just can't get as an American in the in in 2023 or whenever you're watching it. At, you know, at any point, thirty or more years after it was made, you're like, I don't. Um, I think there's something I should understand more about you know the Italian or whatever like ballet school system that I just don't. So I have to accept a lot of things to just get to the to what this movie's about. But also, like, Goblin, the greatest band to ever score a horror movie. Soundtrack. That soundtrack fucking rips. He did, like, three movies with them. Or more. I don't know. He did a lot. Speaking of soundtracks that rip, that brings us right into our next fucking movie. Absolutely, it does. The Monster Club. 20 years later, exactly, is this very British movie. Vincent Price looks barely three weeks older. You could convince me that it was filmed like a week later and they dyed his hair. He's having more fun. I will say that. Definitely. Because he's, he's playing. Mm-hmm. And he's also playing like a version of himself. Yeah. And not, you know, playing Don Nicholas Medina. Or like you know when he's, but it's like, <laughs> this is this is so fucking like eighties goth though. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If if any people out there are familiar with Craig Gleason and like his illustrations, a lot of his style and look is like based on the type of uh, horror imagery that you find in the, I would say, overarching segments of this movie. This is an anthology movie. It's like three skits with a overarching uh, like club scene where like Vincent Price is playing a vampire who runs into his favorite like horror author while he's starving him to this. Yeah, he's like about to die of like not having fed off blood in a long time. And he re-ups with this guy and he's like, oh, shit, I know who you are. You're my favorite. You're my favorite writer. And he's like, I got to make it up to you. I'm going to bring you to this place that's full of monsters and ghouls and all the shit you like to write about. 
and it's all the real deal and you can meet and talk to these people and you know get some material for your next book so he takes him down to the monster club and it's this like kind of like british rock club where everyone is like some type of like monster it's and so um musically it's just like the most like new wave punk kind of thing like it's like yeah, yeah i don't know like i think the bands are great in it but it all kind of feels like um you know in the end of uh cheech and chong's up in smoke the first movie when they're yeah. playing at the, the battle of the bands, but they're like, oh, it's a punk show. And he's like, it's easy to be a punk. You know, you just kind of act like a punk. You know? <laughs> but it's similar thing. Like, it's this venue scene, and there's a couple, like, performances they show, and it goes back to then Cheech and Chong being Cheech and Chong and, like, trying to get it together for their performance or whatever. Yeah. But it's very similar to that. And, like, also very similar bands, but British. The bands are fucking awesome. I I don't have all the names of them, but I went to go try and find the last song that the band that there's like three different bands and the last band Night. Uh, has this song. Yeah, Night. Yeah. Uh, the song's called Stripper. It's not available anywhere. Like it's only on YouTube essentially and in this movie cuz they it's not like a, a song they had for like one of their albums and also trying to find them on Spotify was a nightmare there's like six bands four DJs two poets and they're all they all go by night so when you search it it comes up with all of this bullshit and even in their discography there's like a bunch of music that's not even theirs yeah this is random shit associated with them because they just someone got the night the the name wrong yeah um but they're also all basically session musicians um and that song isn't even on the soundtrack of the uh the movie like on the, the official soundtrack movie? yeah but in their but history on Wikipedia, it says before officially forming as night in los angeles the new group toured the london pub rock scene in 1978 under the name filthy mcnasty <laughs> No, nah, I'm I'm not kidding. <laughs> I, it's crazy. And coming to the stage, Filthy McNasty. <laughs> yeah, performing the mix of originals and covers that became their first album. Uh, and funny. when you click Filthy McNasty, it goes to the Wikipedia page of Robbie McIntosh, best known as a session guitarist and member of the Pretenders. But it is an anthology. And after they get, you know, situated and sit down at the club and they, I think they order drinks and, uh, <laughs> he's a human in this monster bar. And the, the waitress is like, I think you should order like some tomato juice. It'll help you blend in. So people don't, you know, no, know. he, he says it, it's Vincent price. He's like, cause he says, do you have any, you know, like, I don't know, A, positive or B, negative or something? I'd be like, no. He goes, mm, I guess the, um, what's he say? The common typo. The common typo <laughs> we'll have to do. And he's like, this doesn't really suffice the hunger. It's, we need to take it from a living donor. But these, this is fine. He goes, you should just have a tomato juice. He says tomato. Because <laughs> he can't help himself. But he, uh, 
he kind of rolls them into the the first story which is called the shadmok oh because there's that incredible moment where like there's like the thing on the wall and the like author's like what is that and he's like it's the monster's genealogy oh i'd be delighted to tell you all about it and it's anyone who's been on instagram in the past like two years has seen this clip where he's like it's there's vampires werewolves and ghouls and then it's like then there's like a shaddy a maddie a waddy and then there's this (laughs) one that one and then a mock and mock is just the polite term and then and the guy's like bewildered and he's like vampires what is it vampires bite or suck he doesn't say suck I think he does say suck. He is vampires. Vamp, 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 suck, wears, hunt, and ghouls tear. And then there's this whole other rhyming thing. And he goes, and Shadmok's only whistle. And the guy's like, Shadmok? And what's he say? He says something like, yeah, like, then he's like, explains, like, a Shadmok is like basically the fucking bottom. Like, that is like when all the monsters have you know crossbred enough times that you have this fucking thing but meanwhile uh, just when you look at the poster of the genealogy it's all just different uh lon Chaney jr characters <laughs> <laughs> like it's just the illustrated version of all of those faces they're all like classic halloween masks like paper halloween masks from the 50s is what they yeah. look like and the Shadmok is a version of Lon Chaney or Lon Chaney Jr.'s, um, what the fuck is that guy? Uh, Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Like the hair part yeah, in the, the middle. Ghoulish the face, the hair part in forehead, yeah. the space between every single teeth, tooth. But we get our, we get our first story. He kind of rolls us in and we fade into, uh, he tells him that he, He's never heard a Shadmok's whistle, but he knows about someone who has. And then it rolls us in and shows us this dude who's, like, in a straight jacket. And uh, a bunch of people are, like, observing him. He's, in like, in a padded room. And it flashes back again to, like, the story of how he ended up in the padded room. And we get this weird tale about this, like, uh, couple of grifters... Uh, you know, man and woman, and they are trying to figure out where their next score is going to be. And they see this ad in the paper for what? It, what is it even for? Like a maid situation? It's uh, a uh, antiquities collector needs an assistant or something to help catalog all of his crap. So she ends up seeing it and she's like you know what this guy's paying a shitload of money maybe we go check it out i'll go you know like case the joint essentially and see what kind of like antiquities he's like you know needing to sort out she gets there and she is greeted by our shadmok uh this guy who goes by raven and he looks I think the best way to describe this guy to get across his personality and like visuals is like this is what Gomez Adams would be if he had zero charisma. Man, that's true and it sucks. 
it, it's like he's this very creepy loner dude who has this slick back or slick down parted hair and uh he's got these weird ghoulish like you know bulging eyes he's like you said he's got the big They're so chompers. heavy on the stage makeup in this movie too like his face is white like it and it's clearly been powdered yes, white yes. like he looks like an extra from a My Chemical Romance video. From Amadeus. Both applicable. But so she ends up befriending this guy. He kind of tells her, like, I can't go out into the public. That's why it's so hard for me to find help. She scares the shit out of him at first. And then she comes back be- at the behest of her, like, boyfriend guy who's, like, you know, they're trying to rob him the shadmock so then so yeah so she goes back and then yeah then like she warms up to him and like they're like having a goofy time she sees him feeding his pigeons and he's like these are my only friends (laughs) and she's like oh good and then um slowly she he he starts to like leak out details about his whistle and she doesn't really know what the fuck he's talking about he mentions that he can't go out in public because of the sound. And she's like, the sound of the people? And he's like, mm, the sound. And he just kind of like leaves it vague and he gets all bummed out. But uh, there's this great scene where he's feeding his pigeons and this cat runs up after like stalking his pigeon and like kills it. And he has like a full like breakdown. He's like crying and screaming and he unleashes this power on this cat it's just a whistle and it's it's just a whistle but it's just a whistle we get all these really gross up close shots of his mouth like making a whistling kind of shape yeah like real fucked up dutch angles and shit too like it's like kind of it's (laughs) it's, like they're really driving home this is a bad whistle but like he's literally just whistling yeah Outside of, like, an echoey kind of whistle, that's really all we get to see until she ends up hearing it inside the house, and she runs outside to see what's going on, and he's, like, running inside, apologizing and, like, trying to hide his face, and then she sees the remains of this cat, which look like they have been fucking plasma melted down to nothing like oh yeah as if that cat just heard the voice of god it's just like splat (laughs) or at least heard the voice of like a flamethrower on iwo jima like it looks insane (laughs) it also is flattened which like and also like it looked like it, it obviously it wasn't real but it very much looks not real yeah it looks like um cat soup in the silhouette of a cat it kind of looks like if you melted a gummy bear with like a lighter like a torch (laughs) yeah and threw some cat hair on it yeah it was insane so she gets like really freaked out by this you know she's every time she goes home she's telling her like shitty grifter boyfriend like look i don't want to like run this on this dude like you know it it doesn't seem right he's really scary he freaks me the fuck out i don't know what his deal is and he's pretty much telling her like you gotta go back you gotta go back we need the fucking money and uh, i want to know what happened to their money because their apartment also is decorated i mean like furnished nicely 
in like a british way but yeah it's like did they steal this apartment from somebody like what happened like it's, they have a very comfortable little flat yeah i mean the wallpaper looks nice it's furnished like the, he's always just sitting on like the lounge chair it's not like they have like you know frat house cinder block tables and stuff <laughs> Like it looks fine. I was like, can he right? Like there were no a, milk crates that were essential furniture in that house. <laughs> I don't know. This is Margaret Thatcher's Britain, though. She ends up going back and continuing to like kind of case the joint and like do this uh, assistant job, and she ends up really befriending him, and he ends up like proposing to her, and she says yes. So now he thinks she's like, you know, the girl of his dreams and they're they're getting married. And it's at this point she learns about his vault where he has like all of his like, you know, riches and all of these like super. Yeah, he also lives on a huge, jewels. scary like British mansion and like has all this big house. He's big clearly property. got like Bruce Wayne money. Yeah. So she decides, like, okay, this night of my wedding, like, is when I'm going to, like, sneak away. No, it's the, like, engagement I... party. Like, his whole family is there. Oh, and you're being, okay. you're, you're makes... being, he's mentioned a couple times, like, my relations are not very normal. But there are obviously other fucking monsters. <laughs> yeah, very clearly. So they have this, like, masquerade ball and, like. Yo, with some of the grossest masks. Oh, yeah, they're just like... Like, he has this weird mask that, like, kind of just is, like, a semi-transparent, like, plastic that goes over his face. It is kind of, like you mentioned, it's very uh, Phantom of the Opera-y, but it's not, like, contoured to his face. It's, like, almost this big, bubbled, like, face shield. It's just gross. It's like, if eyes wide shut, like, if they didn't have such long noses, but also the masks weren't fully opaque. Just kind of translucent, like a real milky color, and you're like, what? No. Yeah, yeah. Milky is a perfect way to describe it. It's gross. But so she sneaks off after this dance number, which honestly goes on way too long. Yeah. And uh, she's trying to empty out the vault, and he realizes she's missing from the dance floor, so chases after her and catches her in the act of, like, you know, running away with all his money. And he like and he's just such an incel. It sucks because he's just he like is. he's like <laughs> he the first is. girl that's nice to him. He's like, "Will you marry me?" Um, and then he's like, "Let me invite my whole family to meet you." And then he's like, "Oh, he's like he's like you could have all the money. I don't care about any of that." And then she starts yelling at him that she could never love him, which was like obviously the wrong thing to do. Yeah, that was that was a mistake. Like, even if he's not, like, some sort of demonic presence, like, you're kind of pretty sure he, he kills. Like, he's... She saw what happened when he started whistling at the cat. Right? He saw that cat get turned into fucking, like, melted mac and So cheese. she's just screaming at him, like, I could never love you, or whatever. And basically calls him a stupid head. And so then he starts whistling. And this is where they really get does gross the whistle with the her. whistle. They're, they're yeah, close they up right on this guy's wet mouth. mouth, and it's just yucky. It just looks like – it's like close-up shots of a butthole, essentially, because it's just that close to his, like, wet, pursed lips. Yeah, and as we – if we didn't drive it home enough before, he is a hideous man. <laughs> <laughs> but he hits her with the whistle, 
and then it cuts over to the uh the grifter like boyfriend husband and he comes home and he finds her like standing in the corner of the room like blair witch style oh yes sure she's standing facing the corner in this big wedding gown and then she turns around to reveal that like the front of her face her arms her wedding dress everything has been fucking torched by this whistle and like all of her features are melted into this like burned woman exterior and like her dress has all these scorch marks on it and you know she got torched she got like just like like as though she stood in front of like um like if her stove blew up it looks like what would happen if cyclops from the x-man like turned on his beam and like you were just right there she looks fucking flash fried but it's a really good reveal. I thought it was, like, for how goofy the rest of the movie was, I was like, damn, this is, like, really gross and horrifying. This whole, like, all the anthology stuff, it kind of feels like uh, The Twilight Zone. But, like, so, like, yeah. there's good yeah, that, reveals. That definitely felt like, like a Twilight Zone That one Zone does. Episode. The last one does. Um, The middle the one middle does one. not. The middle is, one is a... Is do you a, want to talk about the middle one? The middle one is a riot. So... After another, you know, little interlude of, which is essentially a, a music video of this, you know, uh, band that's on stage. They perform for the crowd. And, yeah, but uh, they perform. It's a vampire band. Yeah, they're like vampire song. But just the song that they, when they walk in the club, the band that's playing, like the, I liked that, um, I don't know who wrote the songs that they play, like the lyrics, but the chorus is monsters rule okay and i i was like that's very you're not really saying anything there (laughs) (laughs) but in this one they uh it's like i'll i suck or something like that i'm a sucker for your love i'm a sucker for you and it's over and over and over this guy screaming i'm a sucker i'm a sucker it's it's very british and very uh early 80s rock it's fucking new wave as hell yeah but then we get honestly the most looney tunes ass fucking sketch in this whole movie uh it's called the vampires it's like a really simple premise the fucking the dad is a vampire the son doesn't understand that his dad is a vampire but i mean he he looks like the fucking grandpa monster like it's it's impossible to not know your dad oh yeah he looks it's it they live in the house from the monsters like there it's it's so and he has like the accent and he's like i work at night like (laughs) and the son's like you're like have you never heard of vampires like in the old country i was a count yeah and then it's like very clearly your your dad is a vampire, and then there's like vampire hunters who are these men uh, with violin cases. The kid gets bullied relentlessly by just those horrible British school children. Anytime you've ever seen British school children in media, they're the most I've never seen horrible them do anything nice wretches ever. on this planet. They are the worst. Like even like you know. Um, you get like two good ones, and the rest are just these groupthink bastards. <laughs> like from the British um, kids that they show in media 
at least in my experience in movies, are always like the fucking kids from Pleasure Island in Pinocchio. They're just terrible little pieces of shit who are always fucking everything up. They're always throwing rocks at shit and bullying people. They're always looking to find someone to single out, and then they bully that person relentlessly, and it's like, it's it's always fucked. They always have the most shrill, sneering little voices, and they'll be like, just find one thing wrong with the person. You're like, oh, you're not like us. <laughs> Which is also, like, I mean, now that we're breaking it down, like, does feel like British history as a group. They just go, let's find the not-like-us people and relentlessly (laughs) break them down. (laughs) That is, I guess, that's a very good point. (laughs) But They're just uh, a bunch of shit kids is the point here, and they pick on the timid son, and then he finally, he says... Oh, I my dad is a count, so that makes me a viscount. And they like pretend to like, you know, be like, "Oh, your countliness or whatever the f- I don't, I don't understand like landed nobility to be perfectly honest. Like, what makes what you would call the viscount? And then so they're like beating the shit out of him, and then here comes Donald Pleasance, literally just sneaking yeah, over the bushes. Oh my God. And dressed Enter like Donald a priest, Pleasant. and the, he chases off the other kids right before they're about to beat the shit out of the uh, the vampires kid. And he go, he's like, the kid is like, oh, I was told not to talk to strangers. He's like, I'm not a stranger, I'm a clergyman. And I was like, stranger, you're a stranger. stranger. still a stranger. And you look like Donald Pleasance, because you are. So, no, <laughs> we don't trust we don't trust clergymen that look the way Donald Pleasance looks. It's crazy what a beard will do to a motherfucker because Donald Pleasance's fully shaven head and face looks like a, a, a malformed appendage on the end of your hand versus Donald Pleasance with a beard looks like a trustworthy, intelligent, mild-mannered psychologist. Donald Pleasance as this vampire hunter guy is like, God... It's like it's he's like nega he's what is he's bizarro world Uncle Fester. He's against vampires. <laughs> he's against he is. evil stuff. He's also not painted. <laughs> but uh pretty much it, it it it's a real quick turnaround to learn that uh Donald Pleasance is part of these uh vampire hunters and they, they now that they've tracked down this vampire once they shows all three kid. of them driving the car, I immediately thought of my comment about um the priests that go into the um in, from to from Amityville the Amityville houses. It's just these like <laughs> just these elite crackers, like the whitest priests, <laughs> just in an like 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 a SWAT team of clergy. <laughs> Something that should not exist ever. All in like bowler hats, carrying. What do they violin. call them? They have a weird name. He says like the bees, the bee squad, the bliny, blinny. Oh, the Bellini. Bellini, yeah. 
I didn't understand where any of that came from. Didn't make any fucking sense to me. I was like, all right, I'm clearly missing something here. This is a reference that's going right past my American brain. They are aggressively bureaucratic. Uh, but they they track they track down this kid to his house and they uh they're waiting outside. Uh, the kid ends up wandering down into the basement to find his father's uh casket, which like this kid is definitely old enough to like have seen his own basement before. Yeah, the fact that like he needed outside influence to be like, I should go look at the basement where my dad sleeps exclusively so, by himself. I should question why I've only started going to school at this age. I should question why my father works at night and sleeps all day in the basement. I should question why I accepted all of these um, calls to question from that strange clergyman I met. So he, he sees his dad uh, sleeping in the coffin, and he hightails it out of there. He's horrified at first runs of that. back upstairs. That's his first horror. Yeah. And then, and then here come these fucking... The B squad, the Bellini, whatever. The priest patrol. Yeah, they yeah. boot the fucking they door. They fucking in roll up. <laughs> and they grab the kid. It's so. <laughs> it's kind of brutal at first because they grab the kid and they go, "The mother's out. Let's do it." And then he's like, "Bring him. He should see the end. Like, bring the child. He should watch his father yeah. die." Which I was like, "Oh." <laughs> And he, like, doesn't say anything. He, they, like, drag him down to where his dad's sleeping, and he doesn't try to, like, wake his dad up. He doesn't yell. He doesn't scream. No, it's the Donald they, Pleasance like, very... show from here on out. Yeah, Donald, Donald Pleasance as uh, this priest straddles up to the uh, the edge of the, the coffin where uh, the dad's sleeping, and he signals the other guy, and the other guy brings over this little violin you know, case. case. Opens it up to this comically large stake and hammer. Oh, it's gigantic. And he's like lining it it up. He just taps it in as though it wasn't made of wood. As though it was like a blade. Like that has to be the sharpest. Like the way you tap in a nail into like soft wood. Just like ping, 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 ping. It's like tapping a nail into (laughs) dirt. It just goes right in. And then you're like, oh. Oh, the mother is back home at this point screaming. Yeah, there is a really funny Brent delayed Eklund death screaming. where like he's he's like really quiet and laying there, and then all of a sudden he gets up. He's like, screams, and then dies. He screams, <laughs> bites Donald Pleasance, and then dies. And then they then then then, then there's the internal conflict between the priest squad. They're informed by uh, the kid's mother that like, hey, he turned you into a vampire. Now your own men have to kill you. And then the men are like. Well, she's right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is the when right before when the guy goes to bring the the violin case. Oh no, this oh is when the guy God. brings the second violin case over because the the second in command is like, you know, well, you know, let's just do it now. So we don't want you to beg. We don't want to have to track you. That's unbecoming. And he's like, I have been in charge for this song. And then he makes a break for it. But the guy walking over with the other. Uh, the violin case this is when he bonks his head dude and there's a literal like audible bonk noise it's so (laughs) embarrassing (laughs) like i knew this one was a little goofier than the other sketch like the other sketch takes itself significantly more serious by comparison this one becomes straight up looney tunes shit 
He starts ripping the drapes down, swinging the curtain rod. It's like a minor fight chase scene. And then they finally get Donald Pleasance down, and then they just, like, also just barely tap it in. And then he's like, get the stretcher. Now, there is... This was hilarious. There's a bit where they're they're taking him out, like, through the front gate uh, of this house. And it's playing, like, the classic, like, funeral dirge. Like, like, that whole deal. Then... The, the guy in the front is trying to get the gate open with his feet because he realizes he's holding the stretcher with both hands and he can't put it down. <laughs> so he tries to open it with his foot unsuccessfully and then the music restarts. It's like So then he tries it again and then it restarts and then he pushes. <laughs> every time the gate hits the thing and comes back, it restarts the music when it comes back. It's like burn, burn, burn. Burn, 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 burn. It's. <laughs> I I was fucking pissing myself laughing. I I I had no idea that this was gonna be like such a goofy like funny sketch. And no, it could have been Bugs Bunny and Daffy I, Duck. I, like, I cried. Could have easily. Yeah. Been... Oh man, I texted you when I was watching it. I'm like, yo, oh, this yeah. is some like, it's the coconut bonk sound. Uh, but they they wheel him away and then. The dad magically, like, comes back to life. Oh, yeah, the kid and, and his mother are then back in the basement. Like, oh, dad's dead. The dad wakes up, and he's like, ah, it was tomato juice and a steak-proof vest. Ha, ha, ha. Stupidest. So dumb, this ending. And everyone's just smiling and laughing. Like, the kid, like... Meanwhile, the vampire guy is saying the whole thing about the ketchup-filled steak-proof vest, staring directly into the camera. Straight down the barrel. And you're like, it, it's crazy. That's where I was like, I draw the line. But then we go back to the club. For also the best song from the, the best, best band, song. a really cool rotoscoped the, the um, band. skeleton removing its yeah skin thing. oh my god there's a chick that hops up on this like stage to do like a strip tease and then she all the lights spotlights cut off so she's only backlit and we see a silhouette and then it just turns into this rotoscoped like strip tease where she pulls all her skin and limbs off revealing just a dancing just skeleton the bones, yeah it's rad it's so good it was pretty cool but then it goes into like he the writer guy sees it goes back to the writer and Vincent Bryce, um, and he sees something at the bottom of like the genealogy poster chart thing. And he's like, "What about that? That's surely human." He goes, "No, that's a Hume ghoul. It's when a Terrible. ghoul and a human." Terrible name. Yeah. Um, and this goes into. The most disturbing story. Like, this actually was horror. Yeah, yeah, it was gross. It was, and it was very, uh, I liked, I liked, it felt kind of like some of those places you go when, like, you're playing a Fallout game and you fo- show up at a town and you're like, this seems all right. And then you're like, oh, no, it's not all right. It's so, oh, no, it's, it's bad. So Everything's far from bad. All right. yeah. You're like, this is, everyone has to die. I can't, I, this is bad. 
Yeah, The Long Short is a movie director scouting locations uh, for, like, this next movie he wants to make. And he finds this tiny little, like, village. Uh, and it's all, like, you know, broken down and shitty. And it also was almost the abandoned. plot of The Village. Yeah, it is very village-like. Uh, where all of these people are, like, being kept by uh, this group called the... What is it? The village elders. The, the, and the the village elders. I was gonna say ancestors, but yeah, the village elders keep these people like sequestered in this town, away from like technology. I don't know in that the they're being world. kept there. They can't leave. There's this big scary mist. Yeah, but the guy knew what the telephone was. When he goes, "Could I use your telephone?" He goes, "No telephone here." And then he goes, "Well, who's in charge here?" He's like, "The village elders." And then the guy's like, "Well, I would like to talk to them." I'm like, "I'd love to use this as a location for the, I'm a you know making a movie. Like, I'd love to use this place as, to shoot here." And then he goes, "He's like movie." He goes, "You know the cinema." And I was like, "He knew what the telephone was enough to say I have no telephone here. That's not like a I don't have one. What's that? I don't. Of course I don't have a telephone. What the fuck's a telephone? No, he knows what a telephone is, but he doesn't know movies. But he's like <laughs> the cinema." And then the guy turns around, and all of a sudden, the fucking whole room is full of people, and it scares. It's it's, it's Yo, scary. It is really cool. He is like fully surrounded, like all you know, shoulder to shoulder. The entire room is filled like a sardine can with these like creepy, the pe- look like cement mud covered people. Yeah, they're all gray. Um, <laughs> they're very gray. They're but they're dressed all fucked up. Their face too. Gray like, they're dressed in a way yeah. that it's like. If you've ever, um, if anyone's ever read uh, what I consider to be a Western horror novel because of just the brutality of it, but Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, he describes um, after they've been raided by Apache so many times, and then like they'll see Apache, and they're just wearing clothes that they've stolen from um, white people <laughs> that they've killed. And so they're all just dressed in it, like, and it's like people, like, they're not. It does. It's not everything is put on correctly because they're not. They're not sure how to put on some of this like ridiculous, you know, late eighteen hundreds clothes. But it's like, yeah, some of these villagers look like they have one arm out through the head hole and one arm or one head through the armhole of their shirt. Yeah, like they're dressed like they don't really know what they're doing. And that's when, like, the guy, like, tries to go out to his car, uh, tries to start it. Everyone's surrounding him. This is, like, a great – this, like, this kind of scene is always – will always unnerve people because, like, it's all of a sudden you're, like, the outsider of a group. You don't even understand what the inside looks like. And you're like, oh, fuck, I got to go. And then he goes to start the car, and that doesn't work. So he lifts open the hood, which is in the back because it's a Porsche, and, like – <laughs> what they show to say that like something's been cut out of here that is stopping it from starting is there's just three wires that they just jammed in there that are then like have been cut like it has they, yeah. they're clearly not like perfectly cut sliced like every cut is like super clean oh not only did they cut the wires but they just stripped it back a little stripped the insulation back a little bit so you can see <laughs> that that's a wire like it's he, he's like he's fucked yeah so he goes back inside 
he goes back inside and the scariest shit happens because he like gets a room there and then as he's like moving towards the room everyone like turns on him and starts trying to like grab at him and pull him apart and it becomes this like human wave that pushes him into the like upstairs back room of this like hostel it's england it's just called an it, inn. it is genuinely fucking scary looking no it's really fucking weird and it's just like they're gonna like i just envisioned like a scene of them all just like literally tearing him apart the way that like the entire mob like kind of like lunges forward and like pushes him and pulls him at the same time it reminded me of uh that scene in spirited away where like no face is like fat and huge and he's like chasing uh shihiro oh and everybody's just there and he's like yes 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 he like hits a you know he hits a part of the hall where it like turns and he doesn't have enough like strength to stop the momentum so they like slam into the wall and then charge down the hallway it's like really unsettling yeah like it's so it's it's a mob of people so big it like takes a minute to like react to things yeah but like but they he like finally closes the door and he's like uh but then like he he didn't even lock it like because then the girl just shows up in the room yeah, he looks out the window for, like, five seconds, and then he turns around, and some totally normal-looking girl in, like, a gross nightgown is just like, hey, I have food! Speaking, like, the, like, like, barely broken English, like, of, like, it's not quite Finnegan's Wake, but it's just, like, <laughs> we get all food, food, clothes comes from the boxes, which I immediately knew. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, 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 no. She's like, yep, we get the boxes from the yard. And now there's no more boxes. And because he's like, what is the furniture is made from the boxes and stuff. And I immediately was like, oh, it's all caskets. Like, it's it's all fucking kidding me. I was like, I mean, honestly, incredible writing. Like the entryway and like you know how you get to there but that version of the reveal where it's through this like broken english of like it's the boxes the boxes he's like the boxes come from the ground but we ran out of boxes and now it's just like cutting to show empty like graves that have been dug up and she's like trying to hand him the food (laughs) and he's like oh no 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 Definitely not going to eat this. Nope, no way, no how. So then she lets him know about the church. Like, yeah, the ghouls are not into the church. They can't cross onto holy ground. There's also a really cool, like, illustrated, uh, like, storybook style, like, intro to this story. That, like, it, it's all, like, illustrated, like, all EC horror style. Like, Bernie Wrightson and shit. He finds it in the, um in the church oh is that where that is okay yeah because it's it's kind of like in um the fog when he finds the like the uh journal but the but the origin story is also upsetting it kind of felt like there's a um if anybody else has been reading the comic uh blue book um there's some stuff at the end of each which is about the betty and barney hill abduction Oh, I will check that out. Um, written by 
James Tinian the fourth, same person that did um, Department of Truth and Something Is Killing the Children. I'll definitely check that I out. Believe, yeah, no, Blue Book is him as well. Um, I think it's the end of issue. Like at the end of each issue, they do like a smaller like folklore-ish like cryptid not quite always cryptid sort of like story mm-hmm. and there's one of like the green these like the green children that showed up in england they're like plant people something like that so everyone has to go out and find issue two and read it <laughs> so that you can agree with me but the illustrations were freaky they're very good we, we find out through the illustrations that these are ghouls the ghouls have like rolled through the town and they eat human flesh and they dig up corpses and eat the corpse remains and that's why all these people are like you know super gross and covered in grave dirt and that's why there are no more boxes to steal clothes out of because they've already exhausted the ones they have and why all the clothes look so like antiquated because yeah. like this guy sticks out like a sore thumb because number one he's clean he's not covered in dirt number two he's showered within this he's week. wearing like normal people clothes for the 80s modern modern yeah but he's also driving a like not quite lime green porsche <laughs> And he just rolls into town, and I believe he smokes his cigarettes with like a long cigarette holder. I would, I would club a child for one of those. Um, he, it's it, it is a little ridiculous to like just the amount of like, and then he shows up in what like feels like a you know, not quite but medieval village. Yeah, like the guy that walks out, uh, the innkeeper when he first gets there, and there's nobody there, and all of a sudden the guy walks out. Like, he's kind of like, he's almost dressed like Shrek. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His little tunic. Yeah, he's got no teeth. Like That's the guy that's like, there's no telephone here, sir. But uh, he, he, he fights off the ghouls, and uh, he tries to save this uh, oh my little God. Uh, servant girl who brought him the food. Because she's like, I want to go to the outside like, where there's Hume normal things. Yeah, it, it's bad. Her acting as but, she is dying, though. Okay, so, like, they're chasing after him, right? The mob. And he's, like, running back out. And he's, like, got the, you know, the girl that, like, is, like, a normal person and is not just trying to eat people. Um, And they get to, like, this spot where, like, they're just throwing fucking rocks at everybody. Yo, these ghouls are whipping rocks like sons of bitches. Just, like balls to the walls like 50 people throwing rocks picking up rocks throwing rocks like they say at one point that's how they hunt and that they kill animals frequently with this tactic i'm like yeah it's just like 500 rocks at you know different intervals yeah of just like just bombarding anything with a bunch of it's it's stoning someone (laughs) yeah it's like, yeah, if everybody picks up a rock and throws it, eventually enough of us are going to hit the same couple spots. That it's, it's, we're going to break some shit. But she just gets one solid one to the back, and it, it... She gets domed with a rock. Yeah, but it doesn't... Like, the way they filmed it, it doesn't look like, like oh, that was it. It just looks like she got hit with a rock. Yeah. Like, if she... Like, she's a child, so, you know, you expect, you're like, all right, you're going to get hit by someone threw a rock at you. It's all right. It's okay. You're okay. But she's like, back broke. I think I'm dying. Saw 
I'm dying Saw very Dad soon. Saw Dad kill Rabbit <laughs> like this once. Back broke and Rabbit died quickly. I'm dying quickly. I won't get to see the outside. At this point, too, I was watching it and I was like, the guy should just go. Like, at this point, like, you're not. Like, don't yeah, be, this guy can't owes be too her worried about the person that, like, they just killed one of their own. Okay? They were going to do this anyway. You need to leave. There are cannibals pursuing you. This person is dying. Okay? There's, like, 60 cannibals. It's not just, like, four. It's, like, an entire town worth of people. And he books it on through the mist and he makes it out to the other side. He waves down these cops that he sees and they're like, oh, yeah, sure. We'll give you a ride back to town. We just got to make a stop over here real quick. And he's already like in the, the paddy wagon with. Them. No, it's a, they and... drive a Land Rover. This is the thing. And it's uh, it's a coupe. OK, it's not four door. It's only two doors. So they literally have to move the seat <laughs> out of the way for him to jump jump in the back. Which, like, at first I was like, wow, that's dumb. And then I didn't realize, like, mm, no, it's moving the plot. Um, <laughs> Thank God. Because then, like, they, they're driving down the road, and he's kind of, like, looking around. And then they do they whip a Yui on this English motorway and then turn right back in. And he goes, we're going back? They don't say anything. The cops maybe look at each other and then keep driving. And they look like normal people. The cops are not, like, covered in, you know gray yeah dirt they get up to the top of like they're like following the road it's got the sign for the village and stuff they're heading back in and he's like wait wait no no we don't want to go back here like now we're going back and then uh they pass the well, body like, of the girl oh, and he always... goes that's the girl like no wait and they go no the supply wagon will grab that and he's like the supply wagon he says right behind that car right behind us and he turns around there's some like old style like like 1920s kind of car like they're basically saying like oh this is rich people and then he's like what huh and that's kind of unnerving because like also the music does some sort of crescendo right there and then yeah. the cops go we always give a vi the village elders a, a police escort when they're back in town and then it's kind of like like ah fuck so then they pull right into town and then all of the like scary gray people just descend upon the car yeah it's one of those like murder kind of twists like you said at the end this of this one fucking, is very twilight zone i i would say this one is definitely a little goofier than the first but it might have the most like traditionally like horrifying plot as to where the other one ha just has that one really good gruesome this one's a great story this one could get a fully fleshed out like beginning to end plot like, this could be a standalone yeah. movie if it was expanded. But that's the last of our Earth, our three uh, anthology stories. We kind of get a little bit of a ending ceremony from uh, Vincent Price's character where he decides to induct this writer into the monster club. And all the monsters are like, he's a human. That sucks. That's a terrible idea. He's not a monster at all. Yeah, then he gives a monologue oh of how... Oh, my God. What a great speech of this how, is. Of how... Just delightfully. So full of... This is what I love about Vincent Price playing a bad guy. Like, quote-unquote, bad yeah. guy. Is he just delightfully recounts all the ways humans are horrible to each other. And, in fact, are awful monsters. <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's like, like, they're the biggest monster of them all. He's like, 
guns and missiles, submarines, aircraft carriers, bayonets and batons and swords and daggers and nuclear power like just lists every possible way like yeah it's like, like automobiles yeah <laughs> like all and of these all, terrible and, things and that humanity's done. all of these people who are in like cartoonish masks which i thought were like supposed to be people in cartoonish masks and then you're it's nope you're supposed to take no, them that's as what they their are. face is because the wolf man that's who's like head. the mc is who i thought was like oh that's a guy in a mask no he's like he because he's and he's like He's a human. <laughs> yeah, he's got these gigantic fake teeth in. Oh my, that like he can barely open his mouth without them sliding out. But also glasses. <laughs> <laughs> and like an MC's like tuxedo, right, or like some sort of like jacket thing. At the end, he goes, "Oh my gosh!" And he's like, "They are monsters." He's like. I'll second the vote. And then they, they vote him in as a monster and a member of the club. And then they have a dance with. Yo, there's a really funny ending dance bit where like they have uh, Vincent Price is dancing with this like very short, very round chick who looks like two Vincent Price's wide and about one half Vincent Price tall. Yeah, she looks like one of the like a classic like carnival. So he's freak. like dancing and cutting it up, and he keeps like shooting these like knowing glances over at the uh, author. Yeah, John Carradine. Yeah, on the sides yeah. of the dance floor. <laughs> well, he's also like dancing with someone all of a sudden. Meanwhile, he was saying for like a while at this point, he's like, "All right, well, I really must be going." And he's like, "No, no." He's like, "I've taken, I've taken a liking to you." And he's like, but you said you weren't going to turn me into a vampire. And he's like, he's like, oh, no, not that. And then makes yeah, then he, he's like just taking up so much of his time. Yeah, he's supposed to be like, oh, let me do this huge favor and show you this amazing spooky place. And then he's like, no, I really got to get home. It's very late. I don't want to do this. And he's like, nonsense. You don't have any say in the matter. Oh, the guy's just so accepting of like real world like monsters also yeah he barely bats an eye when he finds out like monsters are real he gets bitten by a uh vampire and then 20 minutes later he finds out every monster is real and he's like well isn't that just he takes it in the way that only like a a british man who lived in england through world war ii could just accepting it like well if this is the world i live in how quaint. <laughs> he's mostly just, like, annoyed. Yeah. He's not like, oh, that homeless man bit me. Or, like, putting it all together and go, oh, my God, a vampire. He has to be told that he was bit by a vampire, in which he's just kind of just annoyed that, like, well, did you did you make me a vampire now? Do I have to deal with this? I'm very busy. Do you think he was just a little woozy from getting, like, the last five drops of blood, like, drained from his old man body? He is extremely old i mean i i cannot point out enough like his arthritic hands his knuckles yeah. are so swollen anytime you see his hands in this movie yeah his right hand is gnarled into a unrecognizable shape uh just from late late stage arthritis i don't know what the, the, it's just crazy 
Yeah, then it just ends. Like, it's just like, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's very abrupt. It's over. <laughs> it's just but the it dance-off. It's, it's just like, oh. It's it's almost like... like It ends like a B-52 music video. Yeah, but also, like, if it's in this, in this movie, honestly, there's a... Just follow me like there's a world where he could have been played by rodney dangerfield and it would have ended the same way like hey, let's yes. dance yeah <laughs> who cares we're monsters please take my wife you know it could have been the exact same movie but it is a lot of fun it is very goofy uh but i think like i said earlier at the beginning of the episode this is like the absolute perfect like you're trying to put something on your TV at a Halloween party. Oh yeah, like this no one's is... really gonna sit down and like dive into it. Uh, no, to, we shouldn't plenty have plenty of like fun music and you know there's enough goofy, spooky shit happening on screen that'll you know keep people entertained enough. Yeah, I mean, like as a kid, I think if myself. As a child, I would have been more accepting and of this movie and being like not so scared of it as I was afraid of the um the Wallace and Gromit short the wrong trousers. Oh my god, a terrifying piece of media if anyone's ever seen it. Honestly, even as an adult, that fucking little claymation penguin is so scary. And I see pictures of him sometime on the internet and I'm like, huh. Oh. <laughs> And then, like, mechanical pants noise the is, like... horror he's cap- ugh, You know what terrifying. scared me more than anything was the um the opening, the, the like, title card. Yeah. Because I couldn't read. <laughs> I couldn't read. I didn't know what it said, but I knew from the music I was supposed to be scared. Very scared. And that is the power of media. Because then someone finally told me it says the wrong trousers. <laughs> I would leave the room when we watched that VHS tape. What was the uh, – I talked about it on a different episode. There was a book that mom used to show the us. The thingamajigs. Uh, the thingamajigs, terrifying. Hated the thingamajigs. I heard you talking I, about I, that, yeah. I still – chills up my spine to this day. I remember that. I, I listened to that episode because you were talking about like Boogeyman or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the Boogeyman episode. That's right. Yeah, and I'm glad that you pointed out in your description of it that like as an adult, you can look back and say like, oh, this is like a – horrible racist caricature of jewish people you know what's even crazier i looked it up online and like the author and the illustrator are like yeah complete coincidence we didn't even notice or think oh about yeah it. in like, the same way yeah, and, and, and like lies. we're gonna accept um the harry potter lady making the bankers also a horrible european caricature of jews yeah terrible and we're just supposed to be like well that yeah did she no obviously the goblins run the bank and the goblins have their globalist goblin conspiracies and also if you didn't know this uh all of the uh wizards just poop freely in their robes and they have a spell that just like makes the poop go away time out what the fuck that's, are you talking that, about Is that's canon real? if you didn't know that yep she wrote uh, that that'll be the end of the episode no 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 by, that's not guys. the end there's a uh, whole ghost that lives in the bathroom <laughs> What are they doing there? Well, not everybody has the time that Myrtle has to go to the bathroom. Damn, that's fucked. We really just accepted a lot from that woman for a long time. Uh, so that's that's pretty much it for our, our lovely little Vincent Price Halloween double feature. 
Do you have any uh, final cuts for us, Dan? Anything you've been watching in the uh, spooky vein to help them get in get in spirit of Halloween? Yes, actually, I did. I just watched The Fog, the original one. Um, I, oh, I'm a, a huge John Carpenter fan. That's the pirate ship one, right? Mm, the problem is both the remake of that and Ghost Ship were playing on FX constantly when we were kids. <laughs> so they kind of blend. And it's also not The Mist. It's The Fog. Yeah. <laughs> the Fog. Big difference. Which I think it's it's a it's really good. There is some very unnerving stuff in the first in the original one. Um, I don't generally condone remakes. Um, I can't speak on behalf of this one. But it's really good. Jamie Lee Curtis is also in it playing someone very different than um Lori. 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 And also, um, Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, Janet Lee, is in it. Oh, that's cool. A little mother-daughter duo. Yeah, no, it's good. I mean, it takes place around uh, Northern California, but like, I it's I recognize it now ever after having been there a few times. Um, it's in um, Point Reyes. California, all around the Point Reyes uh, Lighthouse, which is part of the national, it's a national park, I believe. But it's a really, I don't know, I thought it was really good. It was fun. Um, there's a lot, I mean, John Carpenter leaves a lot of references to other, um, you know, other of his own movies, even. But, like, the coroner is, like, Dr. F- uh, Phoebe's Fibes. Which is a comedy. Um, the abominable Doctor Fibes is a uh, Vincent Price comedy horror. Huh. The abom yeah from nineteen seventy one. Like that. Like crazy goofy shit. Like it feels like Vincent Price in a um. God, I don't even know. The visuals are just out there. It gets wild. <laughs> Like it's not as far out there as something like um, Holy Mountain. Okay, all right. As far as weird visuals, but from my a little like, more palatable. It, it, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. What every a little more grounded I think than Holy Mountain. All of all, all of uh, cinema history <laughs> is more grounded than Holy Mountain. But it's kind of like if you as as close to Holy Mountain as a Vincent Price movie can get. Oh, that's fun. That, that sounds like a lot of weed and a lot of snacks. I, along with the two movies we watched, watched another two, uh, a little bit more modern horror movies. I uh, I watched Lake Mungo for the first time. What the fuck is Lake Have you ever heard of Mungo? That? It's an Australian, uh, like fake documentary style, oh, uh, like movie. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, it's it's almost like as if instead of making a found film out of the footage of Paranormal Activity, it's more like if somebody found that footage and then made a documentary. And it is pretty fucked up. It's, you know, pretty eerie and unnerving. And uh, it's fake documentary style shit. Oh. Uh, 
definitely worth checking out. Uh, and then I watched the new VHS 85, which was fucking rad. I've never watched any of those. They're good. I mean, it, it was a nice anthology follow-up to uh, the Monster Club as far as just, like, a new anthology. And out of all of the VHSs, I think this one had the most consistency across all of its stories. I thought they were all pretty cool and gross and well worth seeing. Who made oh that the wow okay, lot of lot of people involved in those. The poster looks good. It is a great poster. Did you go see this new um um Exorcist movie yet? I didn't, but holy shit, is it doing terrible numbers like I expected? Really? It to. I I had a prediction that that movie was going to absolutely shit flop out onto the floor, and it did. They couldn't get people to come in just because they had um the actress again. No playing believe it or not exorcist didn't have the draw that laurie strode would possibly have you know like the one of the most beloved final girls of all time nobody really there's not really nobody came for grown-up reagan (laughs) wait that was the mother it wasn't even yeah no it's not like they brought back reagan to make a movie but they could have yeah, well, you know, like I said, it it turns out it was a bad movie like I thought it was going to be. I thought they were bringing back Linda Blair. Oh, wouldn't that be the move to make? That's the obvious move. I thought that, wait. Oh. Well, thank you once again for joining us, Dan. And Me. to you, oh. the listeners. Thanks for joining us. Check us out uh, on Instagram and on Twitter. And if you check the link in the description of this episode you can find the invite to the discord we got all sorts of horror news from across the internet flopping out on there multiple times a day all sorts of other cool chats going on if you want to reach us that's a great place to start and you can shoot us an email at the devil's cut pod at gmail.com and uh until next time creep it real goodbye Thank you.